There's a pretty nice view from Mountain Bill. I said Kathleen MacArthur to her friend Judith Wright on a bright summer's day. And I don't know about you, but my greatest fears are that someone will take all this beauty away. So let's fight, oh let's fight for it, I say. The story of Caloundra's Lunch Hour Theatre. A Lunch Hour Theatre script by Kathleen MacArthur. This is the story of the Lunch Hour Theatre. Judy and I were in Canberra for the first Canberra Festival. We went to, you might have guessed it, a Lunch Hour Theatre in the Intimate Gallery Theatre. It calls for intimacy. It was quite delightful. Just three people reading stories from Australian literature interspersed with a few songs. It occurred to us both, at almost the same moment, that we could do something of the sort here, in the Gilbert Hall of the CCSA, on a Thursday, after the Thursday People's Painting Session, as an extension of the CCSA Library, where I was the Thursday librarian. Kathleen took up the pen and wrote, We know where we've been, but where are we going? a long title for its theme of local history. Seeing it as a once-only effort, an experiment, that took over and carried on in full command, taking them off the stage, out of costume, into presentations once a month on the third Thursday with a two-month midsummer break. We didn't plan it, it just happened, and we have all gone along with it, all of us together. It is our own show. I can't recall how it was that Audrey and I, and not Judy and I, did that first reading, but we did, and our picture, all dressed up for the occasion, taken by the press, is evidence as proof. But as there is no show without Punch, more importantly, there is no show without Judy, except when she would censor a programme by her absence if she didn't like the script. In 1988 and the years preceding it, the media of print, radio, theatre and television all sponsored educational programmes. Looking back, some were pure nostalgia, but much was well researched. From folklore to history, there was something for everyone. Scripts were dedicated to a range of local and national subjects significant to history, conservation and local politics. They included ballad readings, poetry and readings from the popular and humorous literature such as Steel Ruds on our selection. On occasion, performance may become an audience favourite such as Eleanor Dark's novel, Lantana Lane. A story set in the pineapple farming days of Montville. It was so popular with audiences, it was repeated for special occasions in Montville. At one of our ballad readings, Audrey read the greatest whinger on earth, which she delighted in doing, and thereby acquired the nickname of Bloody Audrey. She was quite hurt when on another presentation I gave the reading of it to Judy. Now we will have it in memory. The greatest whinger on earth. I struck him first on a shearing station in outback Queensland. He was knocking the fleeces from a four-year-old weather. 
when I asked him the innocent question, how would you be? He didn't answer immediately, but waited until he had carved the last bit of wool from the sheet, allowing it to regain its feet, kicking it through the door, dropping the shears and spitting a stream of what looked like molten metal about three yards. Then he fixed me with a pair of malevolent eyes in which the fires of a deep hatred seemed to burn and he pierced me with them as he said, How would I be? How'd you bloody well expect me to be? Get a load of me, will you? Dags on every square inch of me bloody hide, drinking me own bloody sweat, swallowing dirt with every breath I breathe, shearing sheep that should have been dogs meat years ago, working for the lousiest bastard in Australia and frightened to leave because the old woman has got some bloody hound looking for me with a bloody maintenance order. How would I be? I haven't tasted beer for weeks. The last glass I had was knocked over by some clumsy bastard before I'd finished it. The next time I saw him, he was in Sydney. He had just joined the AIF. He was trying to get into a set of webbing and almost rupturing himself in the process. I said, how would you be, Dig? He almost choked before replying. How would I be? How would I bloody well be? Take a gander at me, will you? Get a load of this bloody outfit. Look at me bloody hat. Size nine and a half and I take a six and a half. Get a bloody eye full of these strides. Why, you could hide a bloody brewery horse in the seat of them and still have room for me. Get onto this shirt. Just get on the bloody thing, will you? Get on those bloody boots. Why, there's enough lever in the bastards to make a full set of harness. And some no-all bastard told me, This was a man's outfit. How would I be? How would I bloody well be? I saw him next in to Brook. He was sitting on an upturned box, tin hat over one eye, cigarette butt hanging over his bottom lip, rifle leaning against one knee, and he was engaged in trying to clean his nails with the tip of his bayonet. I should have known better, but I asked him, How would you be, Dig? He swallowed the butt and fixed me with a really mad look. How would I be? How would I bloody well be? How would you bloody expect me to be? Six months in this bloody place being shot at by every Fritz in Africa. Eating bloody sand for every meal. Flies in me hair and eyes. Frightened to sleep a bloody week. Expecting to die in this bloody place. And copping the bloody crow whenever there's a hand out by anybody. How would I be? How I would I bloody well be? The last time I saw him was in paradise. And his answer to my question was... How would I be? How would I bloody well be? Get an eyeful of this bloody nightgown, will you? A man trips over the bloody thing 50 times a day. It takes a man 10 minutes to lift the bloody thing when he wants to scratch his chin. Get a gander at this bloody right wing. Feathers missing everywhere. A man must be bloody well molting. Get an eyeful of this halo. Only me bloody ears keep the rotten thing on me skull. And look at the bloody dints in the bloody thing. How would I be? Cast your eye over this bloody harp. Five bloody strings missing and there's band practice in five minutes. How would I be? 
You ask, how would you expect a man to bloody well be? There have been some noticeable changes in attitudes over the 16 years of the lunch hour theatre performances. For instance, Australians' attitude to their history. We commenced from memories of a time when people wrote letters and ran newspapers and produced books. The media of the time all sponsored educational programmes, much of which was well-researched. From folklore to history, there was something for everyone. Yet sadly, most Australians are aware of nothing in their country before their own generation. It is as if, not content with belonging to the newest of nations, they desired to be new every minute, to know nothing but the present. After Australia's bicentennial, genealogy societies began springing up across the nation, helping people to find their origins and, incidentally, thereby learning something of the history of the country. Caloundra secondary English and history teachers wanted us to perform for their students, but the head wouldn't have us. It was happy times when Sweet Rhonda brought a Golden Beach School choir to sing our songs for us. Rhonda was a charming, talented person and became part of our theatre from early days, giving up her lunch hours at school to dash to the hall to rehearse with us. When Jolly Jim Cody was free, he came too, with his voice that raised the rafters. For the producer, Jim was a blessing, for he brought his infectious laugh to support what we thought was amusing, and his laugh was picked up by others to become a chorus of applause. What a treasure he was! Joan Sharp has been with us from the beginning, except for a two-year leave of absence to live beside a coral lagoon in western Samoa. Joan's knowledge of songs and music helped us to select pieces that added greatly to the popularity of our scripts. Bless her. Joan also introduced us to Norma, who brought along Brian and Maria. Lucky us. Over the years, my daughter, the lovely Alexandra, danced for us on many occasions. Once in a tarantella with Joan's daughter, Anne Sharp, for the programme Spider by the Guider. Kathleen and friends continued performing at the venue, raising their entrance fees from 20 cents to 50 cents for matinees and lunch from 50 cents to $1. The takings from the day, along with any profits from the sales table, all went back to the CCSA. With help from Judy's Industry, sales of oven gloves and aprons, soft-knitted shawls and many other handmade donations covered the hire of the hall. We had a great success with bread and dripping days. Our posters, which were displayed in friendly local shops, were headed with a quote from Mary Gilmore. When butter was sixpence a pound, people ate bread and dripping. That brought us a visitor from Victoria who was captured completely and he pushed a $10 note at us with a demand for a copy of the script. One was sent to him. When many others made the same request, it was decided to print and sell the booklet for $2 each, and the proceeds will be donated to the Landsborough Girl Guides to fund indoor toilets in the Boomer Jarrell Centre. The 500 copies sold out in a flash, and another 250 were printed. We raised over $2,000, and they named a Boomer Jarrell room after me. A number of photocopies had been made on request, 
and I still find such demands very flattering. When Kangaroo Press saw Bread and Dripping Days, they wanted it immediately. Lengthened and with photos and drawings, it went on to become a best-selling title, reprinted and back in bookshops in the 1990s. In an effort to recall the people involved in those early days, Theo Ryland comes to mind. Theo's role was sitting at the door collecting the two-bob entry fee. She had an eagle eye for people who escaped payment, even if most times quite absent-mindedly. A little old couple who tried it more than once was spoken to gently, but firmly, by Theo. They paid up generously, and all was sweetness and light thereafter. There was the lady with the hat and the makeup, Mrs. Dora Shear, German-born, multilingual, a loquacious character. She made a little speech of appreciation at the end of the reading, at the special occasion for our theatre's birthday in 1991. She had a long typed script of her own to read, full of praise for all concerned, and not forgetting the ladies in the kitchen. In all the time we ran our theatre, she only missed one third Thursday performance, right up to the time of her sudden death at Mass one Sunday. Then there was Dudley Purse, always full of fun and teasing, yet keenly interested in our presentation of Australian history, in which the de Burgh Purse family had played a part. On occasion, Kathleen and her friends had people in the audience who really didn't know why they were there. Once, at the presentation of the Highland Clearances programme, there was a whole group of puzzled people, completely bamboozled, when some old dear called out, Would you like me to sing a song? We heard later that the minister at the Uniting Church had told them to attend, but if they were of Scottish descent, they knew nothing of that part of Scottish history that banished their clans to the colonies. Once the programme Art and the Philistines brought a group of regional artists, they gave no feedback, whether interested or not. It was hard to tell. Then we have what could be called coincidence days, bringing people to us who are in some way connected with the story of the script. Quite early on, we covered Shaw Nielsen, the darling poet, as we called him. At the end of it, a woman came to tell us that he was her uncle, but she didn't know he was so highly regarded, for he was just a poor old man to her. One could only wonder if she had lived to hear of him being nominated as Australia's National Poet by Max Harris. It was pure coincidence that an hour with Mary Durack found a West Australian Durack in the audience. This type of coincidence happened so often, but there is one that we never could have expected. The programme was New Australia in Paraguay. A really beautiful young man arrived. No one knew who he was, but agreed he looked like a film star. It was Patrick Wood, a descendant of one of the brothers Wood, who joined William Lane in the first contingent of discontented Australians who formed the New Australia Movement in Paraguay. He had recently transmigrated to Australia and was living on the Sunshine Coast. At a reading from Lantana Lane, we had John and Jane Thompson. They are the couple on whom the characters in the book Henry and Sue Griffith were based. 
also Quinny Bell, her Lantana Lane name. In the story, she could knit a fair hour pattern while keeping a tennis score and various other things at the same time. There she sat in our audience, calmly knitting away in company with a person from The Other Road, a location in the story. All of which seems to indicate that the Caloundra Lunch Hour Theatre was meant to be. If you're ever in a jam, here I am. If you're ever in a mess, S-O-S. If you ever feel so happy you land in jail, I'm your bail. It's friendship, friendship, just a perfect friendship. When other friendships have been forgot, ours will still be hot. If you're ever down a well, ring my bell. And if you're ever up a tree, just phone to me. This podcast series was produced by the Sunshine Coast Council Heritage Library with the support of a strategic priority grant from the State Library of Queensland. This series was produced in 2022 and may not be reproduced for any commercial or non-commercial interest.